Take your Bible tonight and turn to Psalm. Psalm 54 is where we'll be tonight. My heart is to be a blessing and to an encouragement to God's people. This message would apply to anybody's life and anyone can listen to this message and it is for anyone who is listening. But the truth and the hope that's found here specifically is for the child of God, the Christian. If you are watching or you're here tonight and you are not saved, this is a wonderful place for you to see part of what it means to be a Christian, a child of God. And my heart is definitely for us to see the characteristics, uh, the personality, and really, if you get down to the core of it, just how loving, how caring our God is. We'll pick up with that theme again on Sunday as we continue in the Beatitudes. Uh, There's something that is becoming so clear and evident to me in Scripture and in study And that is our God is so well-rounded. He's a well-rounded God. He is so loving on one spectrum of his character. He is so holy. Uh, All of those faculties of God, his holiness, his righteousness, his love, and even I would submit to you his anger towards sin, all of those capacities, all of those faculties of who he is are always all engaged. In other words, there are not days where God uh, becomes a knee-jerk reaction God. He is a stable God. Uh, Now, things happen in his permissive will and things happen in life that uh, we will uh, explore that a little bit Sunday. I'm really wanting to preach what I'm going to preach Sunday and preach tonight. If y'all could be here till about 11 o'clock, we could get all this out. But we're not going to do that. We'll take just a few minutes, Psalm 54, and uh, we'll go down to verse number four and just read that one verse, and then we'll continue. Psalm 54, verse number four. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Let's pray, and then we'll get straight into the message. Heavenly Father, God, thank you tonight for your love, your grace, and your mercy. God, I thank you for what you've done in our hearts these past few weeks. God, as we have seen you for who you are, for what you are, the truth of your word. Father, we are blessed beyond measure. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would encourage us, God, that you would stir our hearts. And God, that our eyes would be fixed on the person of Jesus Christ and that it would be anchored to the hope of who he is and what he is. God, I pray tonight for the one that is here in the building or watching online or watching a few days later in the archives, Father, who is hurting, for the one who is discouraged, for the one that is ready to quit, for the one who is so desperately over all that's happening in their life, for the one that's in despair. God, I pray tonight that your word that your word, your truth would penetrate their situation of hopelessness and despair and lift them out of the hole of darkness. And Father, they would see the light and the hope of who Jesus is, anew and afresh. Lord, your people love you. 
We are so humbled and so honored just to be here tonight together worshiping you. Father, thank you that we have access to your word. And that, Father, your word can change lives even today. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. If this message had a title, we would compress those things and give it this title. But God, but God. This is really a message for those who are ready to quit. Hopelessness and despair, pressure and pain, fatigue and dissatisfaction, contempt and complacency, weariness that leads to giving up, to quitting, to rolling over. Uh, Really, that might describe your life. It might describe a portion of your life in some way. Uh, Relationships, work, finances, family, friends, all of the compartments that make up life, all of the things that have access to our time, All of these things, the hopelessness, the despair, the contempt, the complacency, all of those things, all of those elements can creep into the faculties of life. All of these compartments of life are susceptible to those things I just mentioned. Hopelessness, despair, contempt, complacency. In other words, life is not bulletproof. We have our salvation. We are secure in our salvation because of the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect finished work on Calvary. Uh, Thank God tonight I cannot lose my salvation. My salvation cannot be made of ill effect. My salvation can't lose a portion of its coverage or its power. My salvation is secure, but as we have pointed out completely in many different ways, in many different messages over the past few months, man is cursed with his flesh. We are saved, we are sanctified, and we are waiting for glorification in heaven. And until that point, until that time when we are home and in heaven, we have to live with unperfect bodies. We have to live in our flesh The flesh that the Apostle Paul says must die daily. Now, let's back out of this and look at it as a 10,000 foot view. Our world and even really our nation. Uh, There's so much that could be said here. We could talk about pandemics and vaccines and we could talk about politics. We could talk about evil and darkness and contempt and all the things that are happening in our world Most of us are very aware of just what's happening in our world. But here's what you must understand, and this is where the Christian who is living today cannot simply put their head in the sand and ignore the truth of what's happening. Our nation, you have to understand and have to really take in as a Christian, is in a place of despair. It's at a place of despair at a level that we have not felt as a nation since World War II. We're at a place in our culture, we're at a place in our society, we are in the battle for truth, we're in the battle for what is real, we are plagued with outlets of information and disinformation that are either obsolete or uh, that are being used as a weapon against a group of people. We're in a place of great despair as a nation. Our culture is showing itself for what it really is. American life 
is being redefined by the day. American politics is being redefined by the news hour. Everything is changing in our world and our despair and our hopelessness is being exacerbated by a culture and by a generation that is embracing sexuality and sin and rebellion openly. This is the source of our despair. The problem is not at the end of the day, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or who's in charge of your school board. Those are things that we concern ourselves with. Those are things that we pray over and we vote and we are uh, a voice. But at the end of the day, the real problem, the real issue, the real despair, the real hopelessness is coming from a culture that embraces sin openly. That's the problem. That's the issue. But what you have created in all of the things that are happening in our world, you add to the hopelessness, you add to the despair, you add to the sin, a pandemic. You add the craziness that has come from the pandemic, the shutdowns, the isolation, all those things that are happening. And more than ever, people are tense. More than ever, people are worried. People are sad. They're afraid. Stay with me on this, but people today are more short-tempered in public than they've ever been before. People are at the end of their rope. There is no more civil discourse. There is no more friendly conversation. There is no more Republican and Democrat going to lunch together, having a cheeseburger and agreeing to disagree. And all of that is translating into our lives as people. And really tonight, this message would apply to people who live in the United States of America. We live in a country of great wealth and prosperity and connection. Most of us have access to the internet. Most of us have access to more food, more money, and better housing than anywhere else in the world per capita. We are a blessed nation. But at the root of all of our problem, all this hopelessness, all this despair, all this panic, all this anxiety, it seems to be an overwhelming diagnosis for this generation. And for some people, many are beyond what they can process anymore. Many people are literally at the end of what their heart and what their soul and what their mind can take in. If they see one more story, if they get one more mask mandate, if one more person yells at them for not being vaccinated or for being vaccinated, if one more of those situations happen, that's going to be it. That's going to be the line in the sand. I'm going to lose my mind if I have to hear it one more time. There are so many people, even I might submit to you, God's people who are living right there in that feeling, in that emotion. And for some people, the straw that broke the camel's back of living in the world that we're living in came months ago. That straw fell on the pile months ago. We feel like we've been lied to. We feel like we've been manipulated. We don't know who to trust. Fauci, Trump, Biden, Republican, Democrat, Bitcoin, economy. You add all of this into a smoothie and you have one nasty smoothie. It don't taste like banana pudding. It don't even look like banana pudding. But a lot of people and even God's people have had enough and they're at the end of their rope. There's no more leeway. There's no more soft landing. There's nothing but a hard 
calloused soul that's tired of living in what they're living in. And really, the sad part is, Noah, your generation, my generation is creating day by day on purpose a generation that is set up to give up. We are teaching the generation that is coming that, is, that it is okay to roll over on your back and simply quit. We're indoctrinating our people, our society, our culture with a quitter's attitude. Stay at home. The government will pay your bills. There is an end to that, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to work 40 hours a week. You need to be able to rest at least 10 of those. We're losing our edge as a people. We're losing what it meant to live in this country. I submit to you that's not a political problem. I submit to you that that is a sin problem at the core of the most depraved human beings who are in control of the country we're living in. You say, here you go, political. Oh my goodness. Wake up and smell the coffee. There are Republicans just as wicked as Democrats. There are Democrats that are just as wicked as independents. This is not a political issue. This is a heart problem. And people are coming unglued and they're coming to the end of what they can handle. But this generation, we are day by day slowly destroying their future. And I'll be honest, church, what I've heard in my office what I've heard on my cell phone, the emails I've received, the text messages that I get daily, they sound a lot like this. I simply cannot do people anymore. I can't do work anymore. I can't do family. I can't do church. I can't do life. I have had multiple people say both of those things, multiple of those things, or all of those things to me just this week. And can I tell you what is the saddest part of that? Is that those people are people who are Christians. You say, well, that feels like you're throwing a stone at them or that you're putting them down. No, I want them to realize what's available for them according to God's word so that they can come out of it and be above the ebb and the flow of this life. I've heard this this week. It's just too hard. Really, I'm afraid to live. I'm afraid to die. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel anymore. I can't feel the presence and the peace of God like I used to. My prayers feel empty. My fire has gone cold. My tears are gone. I can't take any more of what I'm experiencing in my life. I've had enough. I quit. I've heard that more since 2020 than I have in my entire life. And these pastors who have been pastoring and doing ministry longer than I have, all my friends that live in different states that have been pastoring for a long time, there is an epidemic, there is a pandemic of quitting within the church. People who are simply tired of being what it is to be alive and to live as a Christian. They're isolating themselves from the people that love them the most. They don't come to church anymore. They can't even muster up enough energy or excitement to turn on a live stream, much less read their Bible anymore and worship and praise God. This is becoming our generation. 
And really, this is a message for anyone who has had a thought like that in the last two years or two and a half years. There has been a lot of sadness, even in our church. We've buried people. We've had to say goodbye. Ministries have been crippled. Things have happened that seem so unfair and so unlike the nature of what it should be to live in the United States of America. Our freedoms have been eroded. So much negative has overtaken the news and social media feeds. And so many people are saying, I can't take it anymore. I simply give up. I quit. I don't want anything else to do with it. I want to be left alone. I don't want to see social media. I don't want to talk to people. I don't even want to go to Christmas, one person told me. I quit. I give up. This message is for you. This message is for you. And I'll be honest with you. Do you know what my response is to people who say, I quit. I give up. I can't do it anymore. My response is this. I can't make it better. I can't. I can't fix the problem. I can't stop the pressure. I cannot carry your load all the way for you. There is nothing I can buy. There is no pill I can give you. There is no poem. There is no painting. There is no prose that I can give you to fix your issue. But for the child of God, For the saved by the Redeemer, the one who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of a sovereign Lord, I have but two words for you, but God, but God, but B-U-T. It's a very small conjunction in the English language and really but flows out and in of our conversation uh, without us even thinking about it. It happens in almost every conversation you have. As a conjunction, but means on the contrary, except or unless. As a preposition, but means with the exception of, except or save something. And as an adverb, it means only or just. And my plea to the child of God who is this close to giving up would be to firstly embrace but God, that you would consider that on the contrary to what you believe, God, on the contrary of what you feel, God, except for God, in the exception of God, only in the case of God, just in the instance of where God intervenes, but God, to the one who's weary and ready to give up. It's a small word, but it really enhances the meaning of the surrounding words in the sentence. Miss Margaret, is that correct? It is correct. Thank you, ma'am, my English professor. But God signifies a redirection in what we are able to accomplish in contrast to the power and to the works of what and who God is. But God, Psalm 54, 4, behold, God is mine helper. The Hebrew word for helper is azer, azer, to help, to assist, 
to come to the aid of one in need. That is the character of our God. Are you with me tonight, church? I know we've had a long day. Take a deep breath, hold on, and be encouraged by the truth of this Bible study. The character of our God is one that does not change. He doesn't change. He is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And we have a God who to this day is in the business of Azair, coming to the aid, coming to the rescue of the one who needs assistance. And if that's you tonight, if you're at the end of the, your rope, if you're at the point of giving up, turning over, quitting on life, then this message is for you. God is still a God of Azair. Now in many places in scripture, multiple people in multiple stories, we can find a place where God intervened. There are so many places where we see a hopeless or a helpless situation and the mighty right hand of God reaches down in love and in mercy and intervenes on someone's behalf. Uh, there are many places. The Bible is full of those instances. Even in my own life, I can look back and see where God was Ozer. The primary place I see that God was Ozer, my helper who came to me when I could not get to him was when he saved me in 2005 in the old building. I was lost. I was broken. I was hopeless. I had no chance of going to heaven in my own power and in my own capacity and in love and in grace and in mercy. The Holy Spirit of God came by my seat on the second row on the right hand side and he reached down his hand in Azair and helped me, came to me, assisted me, convicted me and saved me. Even in my own life, I see the moving, wow, powerful hand of God. And if you've ever been saved, you should never get over the fact that God saved you. That he came to you. That he convicted you. There's nothing you could do for yourself. You couldn't light enough candles. You couldn't give enough money. But God in grace and mercy was all there and came to you. It was personal. And he is still in that business tonight. God is Azair, our helper, our hope. And there are multiple places in the Bible we can see incredible stories where God intervened. But I do not want you to focus tonight on these stories of the situation, of the circumstance, or even try to find a similarity in who you are and what the story is. Instead, I want you to look and see at the character and the power and the capacity and the capability and the love of God. That's the point. I'm not trying to get you to find yourself in an Old Testament passage. I'm trying to point you to the characteristics of our God who does not change and who still loves you. So take the story of Noah, for example. I wonder if he started to ever lose hope at any point as he boarded that ark with the animals and his family. Look what Genesis 8.1 says. I'm going to go quickly here, but I just want to refresh your memory. Genesis 8, 1, and God remembered Noah. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. God's covenant with Noah brought provision and protection in the midst of severe worldwide judgment. 
He got on a boat with his family. They shut the doors. It began to rain. It began to flood. And there they are in that boat floating around, bobbing like an apple in a barrel. And that probably would bring up feelings and sentiments of hopelessness and despair, I would imagine. But God said he remembered him. God never forgot where he put Noah. God never forgot what he'd asked Noah to do. God never forgot the promises that he had made to Noah. God never forgot about one of his children that were on that boat. God had never forgot about one of the little animals that was on that boat. God knew about everybody in that boat and in his hand of provision and in protection, he was gonna restore the human race from who was on, in that little boat and God remembered Noah. God remembered him, he didn't forget him. And can you imagine what it would have been to be on that boat? That ark rolling back and forth and everything you've ever known, every person you've ever known, every acquaintance you've ever known, all your friends, everybody is being drowned to death in judgment. And you're locked up in a boat with no itinerary and no real understanding of what God was going to do in the end. I put myself, I put my family on that boat and I imagine that hopelessness and despair could be part of that experience. The pain, the pressure, the fatigue, is the water gonna seep through? Did we build it to God's specifications? Did we put too many animals in this side of the ship? How are we gonna really be fed? Where's our water gonna come from? All the things that you as normal people would be thinking and inside the ship, the greatest thing he had was not the quality of his construction ability or the material that he used. It was the fact that God remembered that he was in that boat. And sometimes people at the end of their rope who are at the end of their existence who feel like they're ready to quit, ready to give up, simply need to be reminded that God knows who you are. You're not by yourself. You're not isolated. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows every hair that's on your head. He knows every thought that you've ever had. He knows where you live. He knows where you sleep. He knows what you're gonna be in five years, 10 years. He knows who you're gonna marry. He knows when you're gonna die. He knows the night he saved you. He knows the night that you answered your call to preach. God knows who you are. The Bible said that God remember Noah and God will remember you. Child of God that feels alone, child of God that feels isolated, child of God who feels all by themselves, just remember, God doesn't forget his children. God knows who you are. That ought to make you get up out of the bed. Jerk your microphone straight off your tie. Put it back on, act like nothing happened and go to the next point. But God, he came through for Noah. He didn't forget him. And he won't forget you. He didn't save you and call you a son, call you a daughter to put you out in a desert of desolation and hopelessness and despair and leave you by yourself to die. He saved you to call you a son, call you a daughter, know you, love you, care for you and provide everything you would ever need. That's the character of our great God. That's why I have such issue with people who try to minimize who my God is. He's sovereign, he's great, he's Lord of all. He owns the cattle of the 10,000 hillsides. He is God and he knows who his children are. Don't you ever forget that. God knows who you are. Then we have the story of Joseph. Joseph. His brothers, his own flesh and blood sold him into slavery. 
They sold him out. They intended that they would prosper from his death. That was the situation. Sold into slavery by your own kin. The story comes full circle. God preserves Joseph. He elevates Joseph to a position of great power. Joseph becomes in charge of the food supply. Well, guess who got hungry? Brothers got hungry. They come looking for food. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but go, if you will, to Genesis 50, 20. It'll be on your screen if you can't turn. Genesis 50, 20. It all comes full circle. Joseph looks at his brothers, and instead of having them executed on the spot, instead of them being arrested and taken away, themselves put into slavery, look how he answers the face of the friends of the family who became an enemy. But as for you... Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good and to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. There is a world full of people who are evil. There is a world full of people who are blind in their minds that have yet to see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Those people who are blind in their mind are in control, are possessed, are used, are manipulated by the God of this world who is Satan. And if Satan can influence a group of people to come against the church, that's exactly what he's going to do. If Satan can influence someone to come against one of his chosen lambs, his precious people, that's exactly what he's going to do. But in the end, God can take all that pain, God can take all that sorrow, God can take all the heartbreak, and he can use it for his glory and for his good. And if you've got a family member that's done you wrong, if you've got a church member that's done you wrong, if your own mama doesn't love you, if your own daddy doesn't love you, if you are molested as a child, if you were raped by someone, if your life was in shambles before you got a chance to be an innocent teenager, there's good news for you that God in his sovereignty, God in his grace, God in his mercy can take all that evil, all that horrible, and he can do something good for his glory. That's who God is. The point's not about having a supper. The point's about God giving Joseph the grace and the mercy to look at his brothers and say, I trust God. Yeah, you done me wrong. You broke my heart. You sold me. But I'm gonna feed you because God has fed me all my life. He's taken care of me. He's promoted me. And he's put me in a position where I can display the grace and the mercy that he showed to me. That's the character of our God. Giving mercy to people who are undeserving. Family pain, ladies and gentlemen, is real. That's, we can get to a lot of topics in this message. But I go to family pain, family problems, family issues, and things get real in a hurry. But can I tell you something about everybody that's sitting in this room or watching online, including the man behind this sacred desk tonight? Every single person under the sound of my voice has problems and issues in their family. 
There is not a perfect family. There is not a perfect situation. There is not a perfect husband nor a perfect wife. There are some situations in families, even in this church, and it's painful, it's horrible, it's terrible, but God. But God. But God. Have you considered God in the situation? There's a son who's on a drug. His mind is controlled by the substance. He has sold everything to stay high. He's robbed from his mama and his daddy, his grandparents, his aunt and uncle. He's done all the things he could do to stay on the high, but it's just never enough. And you're a mother, you're a father, a grandparent looking at that situation and it feels hopeless. The drug will take his life. But God, you have a daughter who's dabbling in things that she would have never done even six months ago. Not your girl. Not your daughter. Not your precious child that you are faithful to bring to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Not her. You're at the end of your rope. You're ready to give up. But God, a wife who's cheating, a husband who's being unfaithful, a friend that's lost and undone, who hates God and will tell you to your face. If it's not in the next few years, their lifestyle will lead them to pay the wages of sin. But God, but God, but God. It's not over until God says that it's over. Let me say that again. It's not over until God says that it's over. Well, the doctors have told us, Pastor, there's no hope. He'll have this problem the rest of his life. Have you considered God and his capability, his capacity. Lastly, we see the entire nation of Israel. The entire nation. They're leaving Egypt. They're going to be free. They've seen some incredible things happen in the last six weeks. Moses has come with great authority and God's going to set them free. All those plagues and the pressure that God puts on the Egyptians. Pharaoh says, get out of here. Get those Hebrews out of here. I'm tired of living in this. Get them out. That nation walks out. They take everything they can with them. Walking into the desert. God hardens the heart of Pharaoh and the Egyptians pursue. And now what was supposed to be a day of great victory, of triumph, of freedom, seems to be the last day of existence for an entire nation. The rage and the anger 
of Pharaoh will be the death sentence for an entire nation. They come with chariots and swords and horses and men and a mighty army out of Egypt is coming with rage and fury and it's coming not only for the men but for the women and the children, the innocents. And then there is Moses and there is the Red Sea. What seems to be an insurmountable obstacle that no one is going to be able to cross. There's no way that this nation of people is going to survive a swim from one end to the other, fleeing the Egyptians. Every single one of these people is getting ready to die. And now this enraged army is going to murder everyone. Exodus 14, verse 16. God speaks to Moses and says, But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Very quickly, can I make this point? If they were going to live, if they were going to survive, if they were going to cross the Red Sea, not even on dry ground, if they were going to live in this experience, if they were going to see tomorrow, it would be because someone in leadership obeyed God. And already the groanings and the moanings, were there not enough graves for us in Egypt, Moses? There's already some smart alecks in the group. They're getting ready to die. They're trying to make a point. And God says, Moses, I've got the solution, but you're going to have to do something that doesn't make sense and simply obey me. Lift up your rod and the sea will split and your people will walk on dry ground. I'm glad he asked Moses to be obedient and not the naysayers. Because Moses did exactly what God told him to do. Verse 21, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. Go all the way down to verse 24. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch the Lord look into the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of Egyptians. And took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. So that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out thy hand over the sea. The waters may come again. And they came, the waters, upon the Egyptians. And upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 29, but the children of Israel walked upon dry, land, dry ground, dry land in the midst of the sea. Now what's the point of reading all that? Here's the point in reading all of that. Number one, Moses was obedient to do what God said. And because he was obedient, God kept his word. But not only did God intervene, not only did God see his people through the greatest challenge and obstacle of their life, not only did he give them an opportunity to be obedient, 
but he took what seemed to be a hopeless situation and it became a time of not only glorious deliverance, but an opportunity to look back and say, wow, look at the mighty hand of God at what he did. Not only did he get them all cross on dry ground, but he destroyed the enemy pursuing his children. And God says before I kill those pagan God deniers. I'm going to scare them. That's what the Bible says. Before I kill those God deniers, I'm going to trouble them. Before I destroy the army pursuing my children, I'm going to frighten them. They're going to know that they messed up and that I am fighting this battle for my people. In other words, God wasn't going to let the Israelites get the glory, but he was going to kill that army and get all the glory and all the honor. And he was going to let them know that God was fighting the battle. Verse 25, he frightens them. He scares them to death. And then they say, let us flee for God is fighting against us and for them. The Egyptians knew they'd messed up before they died. They knew exactly what had happened before the water overtook them. They knew that God was angry. They knew that those Hebrew children, stay with me on this now, those Egyptians knew before they died that those Hebrew children whose backs they had been breaking, whose backs they had been whipping for all those years, that they really were the chosen the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That little group really was the children of God. And before God destroyed those pagans, he let them know who he was and he let them know who his children were and then he destroyed them. Leave my children alone. Let them be. I've set them free. can't imagine being a husband, a father, my entire family around me. I probably can't hear what Moses is saying. I can't hear the thought dialogue between him and God, what God's telling him. I simply have to wait and trust God at the back of the line, closest to the Egyptian attack. And what seems like an insurmountable problem, a problem that cannot be fixed, a situation that has no remedy. I have to stand there and trust God and wait and cast myself at the mercy of God. And over 2,000 years ago, right outside the city of Jerusalem, my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, he saw the hounds of hell coming for me. He saw the insurmountable chasm called sin that had separated me from real life and freedom. He saw that there was no other solution other than his divine intervention. And in grace and in mercy and in love, Jesus Christ stretched his arms willingly on my cross and overcame my insurmountable chasm of hopelessness and paid the price and intervened. 
Jesus came to my Red Sea of despair and of sorrow and of pain. And he took my nails on my cross and he saved me from something I could not save myself from. You see, I was bound for hell and I had no hope but God. But God. In church, one day when this is all over, when this all comes to an end, my Lord and my Savior, my King of Kings, my great advocate, the one who died for me on my cross, is going to take my enemy by the throat. And he's going to scare him. He's going to frighten him. He's going to mock his calamity, the Bible says. He's going to laugh in his face. That's part of the divine judgment of a holy God. And for time and eternity, he's going to take that slew foot monster devil and he's going to send him to hell for all eternity. And it'll all be over for the child of God. The Bible's clear, Revelation 20.10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. But when you and I get home, when we get to be with Jesus, we'll go to a place where there is no temptation, no more sorrow, no more despair, no more hopelessness, no more funeral homes, no more cancer, no more issues and we'll be around the throne forever singing glory, 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 hallelujah, praise God. I have come by the way of the cross and I would not be here but for God. And if you're here tonight, you're at the end of your rope, you're challenged in your faith, you feel overwhelmed with the circumstances of life, I want you to look back at the character, the love, and the personality that God has towards his children and find peace and find comfort. Matthew 19, 26 says, but Jesus beheld them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Someone come help me on the piano. I'm finished. We'll pray and we'll go home. My heart tonight is that you wouldn't quit. My heart tonight is that you would remind not only yourself and encourage yourself in the Lord with who you are and what's available for you, but that you would look at your situation, that you would look at your circumstance, that you would look at the problem that's facing your life and in great confidence, look at the issue, look at the problem and say, but God. Here is the pain, here is the problem, here is the issue, and I can do nothing with it but God. Visualize it. Take your issues and make it an object and say, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna trust him, and I'm gonna say tonight, but God. I can't fix it. I can't make it better. I can't do anything in my power to fix this problem but God. The Christian needs to start believing in the capable hand of God to intervene once again. God still heals. God still saves. Are you with me, church? God is still capable. He's still who he said he was. 
If you've been through two and a half years or so of a really tough time, then tonight's the night. But God, stand all over the building. The altars are open. If you've got an issue, if you've got a problem, I want you to come pray. I want you to come find a place. Whatever is in your heart, whatever you're dealing with, maybe you've got a friend or a family member who is lost and undone without Jesus. Would you come pray for them tonight? Would you take this opportunity to think of someone that's going through a tough situation? Maybe your life is in a great place. You feel happy. You feel like everything's going the way it ought to. But you know someone who's in a tough place, a dark place. James tells us to pray one for another. Maybe you're here tonight and you're this person. You're at the end of your rope. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to fix it. You've put all the money you can into it. You've put all the time and effort into it, but nothing is changing. You need to come here and pray and say, but God, but God, God, I need you. God, you're going to have to intervene. You're going to have to change it. But God. Go Josh, sing one verse. Father, God, I pray tonight for those that are in the altar, those that remained in their seat, God, the ones that are watching online, Father, who have an issue, who have a problem, God, who are in despair, who are broken, God, whose hearts are longing for peace and comfort, God, they need help. Lord, I pray tonight that your very capable hand, God, would move in their life. God, that you would strengthen them God, that once again, they could see who you are and what you really are. God, your capability. God, nothing is outside of your control. You're able to change a situation faster than we can think of the problem. God, we believe that. We believe it because it's in your word that you are a God of great intervention. God, tonight I pray for every person who's going through a struggle, going through a battle. COVID has been the most difficult season of their life. There are people here tonight who have lost loved ones recently who are bereaved in their heart. God, I pray tonight you'd comfort them. God, there are ones that are here tonight that are heavy in their heart. 
because of the weight of sin, temptation, disappointment. God, I pray that you would restore them. God, that you would clean their conscience. You'd give them peace and rest. God, that their hearts and their minds be fixed on your word. We love you tonight. We thank you for these stories, these examples that you've given us. God, it overwhelms me to think that I'm praying to the same God that split the Red Sea. That I'm praying to the same God that provided for Noah. That I have access to the same sovereign Lord who did mighty things in the life of Joseph. Thank you that you know my name. Thank you for knowing who I am. Thank you for allowing me to have access to the throne room of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, kind sir, for looking my way, for having enough pity, enough grace, enough mercy to do what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you for being who you are and what you are. Protect these dear people. God, I pray that you would give our church a backbone of steel rooted in your word. God, that we would be strong to face the darkness, the deteriorating culture around us. That we'd be men and women full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, ready to stand and be salt and to be light in this day and this age. Lord, help us to love each other as Jesus loves the church. So in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. Aren't you thankful for his word? But God. If you get in a situation this week, if something seems hopeless, if something seems dire, out of control, just whisper under your breath, but God. But God. Say it with me. But God. What's well, powerful? Say it again. But God, claim it. You are the church of the living Lord. You have that capability. It's okay to tell the devil where he's going. It really is. Poppy said so. We win, church. We win. We don't have to wonder if we win. I said we win. We get the victory. We get to go home. Streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl in the presence of God for all eternity. There's something to that. But God. But God. He's so good to us. Let's be tender. Let's be the church that he can be proud of. God looks at Trinity Baptist Church. I want him to see a bride that he was ready to come back and get. Not one that he has to clean off their mouth before he gives them a kiss on the cheek. A clean bride. A beautiful bride who's in love with him. Let's be that this week. Be salt. Be light. Be who Jesus can be proud of. Let's make him happy. He's given us a whole lot. I love you, church. Don't miss Sunday. Would you invite somebody with you to church? Tell them we don't bite. We don't throw stuff at people. We'll even give them a coffee mug and some jelly or something in that bag. But invite some people to come to church with you. 
we'll be back in the Beatitudes studying the word together. Pastors, are we clear?